0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View, a bit of uh, extremely sad news to start the podcast, uh, unfortunately. Kentucky Wildcats guard and NBA draft prospect Terrence Clark, 19-year-old kid, born September 2001, just to give you a, a bit more of a... Grasp of how young this kid was. Died in a car accident last week. And it was just an unbelievably sad event. Him and his teammate and also uh, draft prospect Brandon Boston, BJ Boston, were training together. And as they were driving home in separate cars, Boston was driving behind Clark, who... Apparently, was moving at a high rate of speed and ran a red light, clipped another car, and then drove into a wall. Um, That's the report I read. It's horrific. Like, just an absolute nightmare all the way around for that to happen to Clark. For Boston to have to probably witness that whole thing happen in what I'm sure felt like slow motion to him. Um, just really, really, really just horrible, horrible tragedy that happened for Terrence Clark and the Kentucky Wildcats and, and his family. And it's really, really sad. So, so condolences to, you know, the Clark family and all his, his family and friends. Horrific, man. Horrific. And it's just one of those, one of those things like. That's like a Len Bias kind of moment. You know, Len Bias was a a great prospect coming out of... Now, Terrence Clark wasn't, like, the number one... Going to be the number one overall pick, but he was going to be possible lottery, if not, like, first-round pick. And this is just something that not only was, like, his potential as an NBA player not going to be fulfilled, but, like, his just... His life, man, was cut short. And it's horrific. Really, really, really sad stuff. Um... So prayers out and condolences to his family and friends, man. It's just needed to get that off my chest because it it was something that made me me really, really sad. I mean, like any human being, right? You never want to see someone that—you don't ever want to see anyone, you know, pass away prematurely like that. But, you know, a 19-year-old kid getting ready to, you know, fulfill his lifelong dream in the NBA, like— It's terrible. It really is terrible. As difficult as it is to change topics and kind of switch gears from, you know, a a sad opening like that, I'm going to try my best. So just with basketball, I need to touch on the Knicks real quick. Uh, They had a nine-game winning streak. It was snapped by Chris Paul and Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns. The other day, I'm recording this on Tuesday night again, just so you have a time frame of what's going on. Knicks lost. uh, Nine-game winning streak, though. Super impressive. I think it was their longest winning streak since 2014. Um, So it's been a while. It's been a minute. And you can't tell any Knicks fan to not enjoy a winning streak like that. doesn't matter. You can't tell any basketball fan to not enjoy their team having a winning streak like that. Uh, it was super fun. I mean, they played the the Suns hard. I think they lost by like, I think it was 118-110 was the final score. Um, but the Suns are the number one, the number two team in the, in the West, and they're trying to close in on that number one seed before the season ends. Uh, but the season ends in a couple weeks. I think there's only like 12 games left or something like that, maybe even less. Um, So we're closing out on that. The Knicks trying to lock up more of a solidified position at that 4 seed. uh, Battling it out. I'm sure the Hawks are still lurking and all that. But it's going to come down to the wire in terms of the 4 through 8 seed. And then, of course, you have the play-in tournament. But the Knicks, hopefully, they just stay in that 4 to 6 range and avoid that horrific play-in tournament that they're going to have to do if they fall to seven. So just need to shout out the Knicks, Knicks fans. Like, the Knicks run New York, man. I said it. I don't know if it was last week or a couple weeks ago, but the Knicks run New York. Undoubtedly. So, undoubtedly. So, their win streak comes to an end, but they are still rolling. They're still playing at a high level. Julius Randle's still playing at a high level. R.J. Barrett's still playing at a high level. They're good. The Knicks are good. All right, we got the NFL draft, huge NFL trade between the Ravens and the Chiefs, NFL draft preview, and then we'll wrap up the show with the state of baseball, which I think took a huge jump um, or a huge step in the right direction with this series between the Padres and the Dodgers. And we need to talk about that. We'll we'll touch on the Yankees and Mets as well. Um, Jacob deGrom. And the Yankees looked like they had it going against the Indians. And then now they lost to the Orioles the other night against Matt Harvey. Which is, you know, a step backwards. So we got all that coming up. But let's start with the NFL. That big trade I was talking about. Kansas City and Baltimore. The Chiefs trading... Their first round pick on Thursday night, the thirty first overall pick. So I mean nothing crazy in terms of the first round pick that they get this year, and we're gonna pull up the the, the rest of the numbers here uh, in terms of picks. So the Ravens get that number thirty one overall pick on Thursday. They get a third the a third round pick number 94 overall, a fourth round pick, number 136th overall, and a 2022nd fifth round pick. So one first, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. And then Kansas City gets Orlando Brown, a second round pick this year, number 58 overall, the 58th overall pick, and a 2022 sixth round pick. So in my eyes, the Chiefs kind of rinsed the Ravens on this deal. Like, I can't It is very head-scratching for the Ravens to make this deal. First of all, this is like your direct number one competitor in the AFC. And you're trading one of the most important, if not the most important offensive tackle position or offensive line position to them. So the Chiefs just let Eric Flowers go, uh, Eric Fisher go, excuse me. And he was their left tackle for a long time. I think he was like the first or second overall pick a handful of years ago. Uh, I think he was the second overall pick after Luke Jockle, if you guys remember that draft. The Jaguars took him, and I think Jockle was out of the league in like a couple years. But Fisher was with the Chiefs for a long time. Uh, his time with the Chiefs ended. They let him go. So they needed a left tackle. To, to give the Chiefs one of the better linemen in all of football... For essentially nothing is like, I, I don't know. It, it, it's super questionable because you, yeah, you get a first round pick, but it's the 31st overall pick in the entire, like, in the entire first round. So, like, how, what is the value you're looking to get there? Um, and then also, you get like a third, a fourth, and then a fifth next year. You get four draft picks, like, just nothing overwhelmingly good. You couldn't have gotten another first-round pick out of Kansas City. There weren't other offers out there from other teams that offered this pick and then, like, a first next year for this guy. Like, I just... It's hard for me to believe... I understand people are so obsessed with first-round picks and all that, but it's hard for me to believe that this is the best offer Baltimore could get for one of... You know, a, a top of the line offensive lineman, and not only that, but Kansas City got a second round pick in it too. Like, yeah, they gave up, uh, they gave up their first round pick, but like, and you you actually look at it, you know, they won the Super Bowl last year. They had the 32nd overall pick, and they took Clyde Edwards-Ilair, who's, I mean, that was a good pick. That really worked out for the Chiefs. Um, but you know, you get a second round pick now, um. I think what what I say fifty eighth overall. Like this is, I don't know. I I, I thought the Chiefs kind of swindled the Ravens on this. Um, I, I don't actually know. I don't know if the Ra- if the if the Chiefs swindled the Ravens or the Ravens sold very low on on Orlando Brown. But as far as I'm concerned, the Chiefs had a huge hole to fill on their offensive line with Fisher gone. At an incredibly important position, left tackle, for your franchise quarterback. This is blind spot, right? And you went out and just got a exceptional offensive lineman to fill that hole. So and a second round pick to boot. So good good for the good for the Chiefs. Um the rich get richer, I guess. That is uh that's a hell of a trade for them. All right, NFL draft time, baby. It's getting there. We are, by the time this is released, probably going to be close to like 24 hours away. Uh, that's probably more, eh, like we'll call it like 30 plus hours away uh, by the time this episode is released. So getting close. Thursday night. Um, Kyle Shanahan had a really interesting quote about the Niners. So Shanahan said that he started out with one particular QB in mind. For the number three overall pick. But quote. After going through this process. I feel good about five guys. At number three. So. Shanahan's playing a bit. Of a. You know. Oddball like. Kind of busting balls. uh, With people not really showing his hand. About who he's going to take. Because you know there's like five total quarterbacks. So he's. Being a bit of a jerk, and then he went on to say, um, when uh, asked if he can guarantee if Garoppolo will be on the roster Sunday, <laughs> he says, "I can't guarantee that anybody in the world will be alive on Sunday." So, I "I don't know." Like this, this dude. This dude's just like really messing with everyone. Um, not really showing who he's gonna take. But all prior reports have pointed to Mac Jones as the third overall pick to San Francisco. So we're gonna run through this mock draft courtesy of Mel Kuyper Jr., the GOAT. Todd, 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 Todd. Love Mel Kuyper Jr. Okay. His mock draft. Um, we got some other things brewing, like Julio Jones might be traded around that time, not sure what he's worth. Let's talk about Julio for a second actually. I'm getting a little bit of ahead of my uh, a little bit ahead of myself here. Julio Jones is now on the trade rumor mill about he might get shipped out of Atlanta. We don't know if it's going to be uh on draft night or like immediately after or whatever if he's going to be a draft night package. What I did see is that I forget the date and I couldn't find it. Um but he might be traded after. I want to say it was like June 1st. Although I, I don't know. Um, there's a certain date that a lot of people are ex- expecting him to be traded after. Because if he's traded before, the Falcons take some dead cap. Like $23 million in dead cap space. And then if he's traded after that date, they take like $6 million in dead cap. So... Everyone's speculating that if he is traded, it will be after this specific date that, for the life of me, I can't find. I want to say it's June 1st. I don't know if that's right. I'm pretty sure it's the first of a specific month. And I want to say June, but I'm not sure. So, Julio's on the block. I don't know what I would trade for him. Like, as a Giants fan, if you can get him, like, on the dirt cheap... Sure, why not? But, like, realistically, that's not going to happen. Realistically, the Falcons are probably asking for either a first or a second round pick for Julio Jones. If your team that is built to win now and you can get Julio Jones for a second round pick, I say why not? Like, why not? Like, obviously, if you are not a team that... Like, every every GM, every head coach is going to be like, yeah, like... Our goal is to win a championship, and uh, we're here to compete, blah, blah, blah. But realistically speaking, there's only a handful of teams that are, like, fully equipped to make a Super Bowl run. Now, if I'm the Packers, I'll give the Falcons three first-round picks for Julio Jones. I don't give a shit. Like, the Packers are definitely a team that could... Go and spare a second-round pick for Julio Jones. I don't think the Falcons are going to be. Julio Jones is thirty-two years old, so I don't think the Falcons are going to be getting a first-round pick from anybody, regardless of league standing, for Julio Jones. But if you're the Packers and you can shell out like a second-round pick for Julio, and then maybe like a, a fourth-round pick next year for him, like a hundred percent, take that. Um, that being said, this draft class is loaded with wide receivers. So, unfortunately for the Falcons, it's like one of the the shittiest times to be shopping a early 30s wide receiver. Normally, probably you'd get a lot of people to bite on that at least or a lot of people calling your phone asking what you want for Julio, but in this specific draft, it is so loaded with wide receivers that I'm not sure many teams are going to want to give up anything significant for Julio Jones. Um, so kind of sucks for the Falcons in that regard. But he'll probably be traded and I hope he gets traded because uh, the Falcons are a dumpster fire. I mean, it's it's over for them. Um, I, I hope they take a QB with their, what is it, fourth overall pick? But let's get into to Mel Kuyper's mock draft. First two picks are essentially a lock here. I mean, number one, 100% is. Jacksonville's taking Trevor Lawrence, and the Jets are taking Zach Wilson. That has been the report for ages. They traded Sam Darnold. End of story. Like, that is what the Jets are doing at number two. So this uh, mock draft actually isn't just Mel Kuyper. It's also Todd McShay. I thought it was just Mel Kuyper. So it's both of the ESPN goats, right? Uh. So, Kuyper has Justin Fields actually going to the Niners. Um, There's been a whole bunch of, like, gossip and controversy about who's going to the San Francisco 49ers. Um, There was controversy surrounding that jerk-off, Dan Orlovsky, who I think is—he sucks. I think he's so dumb. Doesn't say anything smart. Um questioned Justin Fields' work ethic, then everyone started questioning it, and everyone was like, why are we questioning this? And it became a whole big thing, because there really wasn't any reason to question Justin Fields' work ethic. Um, In my opinion, he should be going number three overall, but there are so many rumors out there on the internet about Mac Jones and Kyle Shannon went to his pro day and all that, and it's just a whole lot of bullshit out there, right? Speculation, gossip, rumors, nothing really certifiable. So, in this mock draft, got Justin Fields going number 3 to the Niners. I would like that way better than Mac Jones. Number 4, Atlanta Falcons are taking Kyle Pitts, which is fine if you're if you're okay with relying on Matt Ryan for probably at least another 2 years. Cuz there's just no like Even if you suck next year, I don't know if you're going to be able to be in this position again. Like, you're not going to suck enough with Matt Ryan to get the number one overall pick. But clearly, you can suck enough to get, like, the number four overall pick. But this year has several quarterbacks to choose from. So, foregoing that and taking Kyle Pitts means you're locking in on Matt Ryan for probably another two years. At number five, Cincinnati Bengals. The obvious pick for the Bengals is to pick Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon. I would not be surprised if Joe Burrow talks uh, management into taking Jamar Chase, who was his teammate in college. Chase didn't play last year, but the previous year he played with Joe Burrow. So I I hope... For the sake of Joe Burrow, they don't listen to him if, in fact, he is trying to get that pick to happen. They need Sewell. They need to protect their quarterback. This is the obvious pick, I think, for everyone involved. The Dolphins at 6. You remember their whole fiasco. They traded down from 3 to 12 and then back up to 6. It was a whole big thing. Uh, they have, or McShea has, Jamar Chase, number 6 overall to the Dolphins. This is a trade that Kuyper has, Lions trading with the Patriots, and then the Patriots take Mac Jones. We're not going to take much time to discuss that because it is a hypothetical trade situation. We're going to breeze through those and go with the actual uh, picks that aren't hypothetical trades. Eight Carolina uh, that he... They have Rashawn Slater, offensive tackle from Northwestern, going eight to the Panthers. Protect Sam Darnold, give him extra protection. I'm okay with that. Uh, Number nine, Trey Lance going to the Broncos, which if this is a guy that falls that far, I think that's a good pick for the Broncos. I don't think Drew Locke is the answer, unfortunately. At 10, Dallas Cowboys, Patrick Sertan. This is a guy who... I think on almost every mock draft I've seen, people have the Cowboys taking this dude at number 10. So it seems to be a pretty accurate pick. And now, of course, my New York Giants. I've been seeing this more and more. Devontae Smith. Kuyper has Devontae Smith going to the Giants at number 11. He was on first take today. Molly Kiram was hounding him about being a Giant, and he was like trying to play it off. Um, he was spotted at the Knicks game wearing a Yankees cap the other day. It's a whole big conspiracy, New York media kind of thing, you know how it goes. Um, I would love to see Devonte Smith in a Giants uniform if we did not just sign Kenny Galladay. The fact that we we went out so we went out and signed a legitimate number one wide receiver in Kenny Galladay. We have Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Saquon Barkley. Evan Ingram, even though he's wildly inconsistent and I hate him, there are weapons for Daniel Jones already on the Giants offense. Kenny Galladay is a huge pickup for them. I personally would like Quiddy Pay, who is a defensive lineman from Michigan, or Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State. Uh... I want to go defense. I want to go linebacker or defensive line. Pick one of them. You know, God forbid the Giants decide to do a complete 180 on everyone and pick like an offensive lineman. I wouldn't hate that either, obviously. Um but I just don't think wide receiver is the is the pick to go with here. Um but should they pick Devontae Smith? I'm not going to complain cuz I think he's Wildly talented and is like could be an Odell Beckham type of player, which I crave. Uh, you all know how much I miss Odell. So Devontae Smith, I'm not gonna say no, but I would rather go defense. Number 12, they have the Eagles taking Jalen Waddell, uh, Devontae Smith's teammate. I think this is a fine pick for them. Um They need some type of weapons on offense because the Eagles are just bone dry in that regard. Their wide receiver core has been shit for years. 13, the Chargers. They have Christian Darisaw, offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. Protect Justin Herbert. That's the motto. 14th, Minnesota Vikings, Elijah Vera Tucker, offensive tackle slash guard from USC. 15th, this is the the trade between the Patriots and the Lions, the hypothetical one. Um, they have the Lions taking Micah Parsons. 16th, Arizona Cardinals, J.C. Horn, cornerback, South Carolina. A lot of people have Horn in front of Sertan on their cornerback draft board. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Horn is a guy who goes a little bit higher than what they have projected at sixteen. Uh, but with the departure of Patrick Peterson, got to replace him somehow. I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals took a defensive back. 17, the Raiders. Trevin Morig. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Safety from TCU. Um, He's a deep safety kind of guy. You pair him up with Jonathan Abrams, who's constantly lurking in the box, loves hitting people with his helmet. Um. I don't know. The Raiders are, like, so unpredictable. Gruden is unpredictable. You never know if he's going to reach or he's going to try and just pick someone out of the blue. I have no idea. Sometimes I think that they just shake up a, a bunch of names and a hat and pick them out, and that's how the Raiders draft. At 18th, the Dolphins' second first-round pick, they have Jeremiah Owusu-Kuromoa. I think I pronounced that right. God bless me if I did linebacker from Notre Dame. 19th the Washington football team Jamin Davis, linebacker from Kentucky. 20th Chicago Bears are taking Caleb Farley, cornerback from Virginia Tech. The Bears are they have a lot of a lot of needs. I mean, they're going into this year and Andy Dalton I think is their starting quarterback. Um or if it's not Andy Dalton, it's Nick Foles. Regardless, they're kind of fucked in that aspect of football. So going offense, I guess, really wouldn't make much sense here, would it? Jalen Phillips, defensive end from Miami, projected to go 21st overall to the Colts. At 22, Elijah Moore, wide receiver from Ole Miss to the Titans. You're replacing Corey Davis, who walked in free agency and signed with the Jets. And the Jets have the next pick at 23 via Seattle. Um, they are projected to get Greg Newsome, the second, who is a defensive back from Northwestern. At 24, the Steelers, I've seen, mo- again, this is another pick where I've seen most mock drafts have the Steelers taking Najee Harris, the insane running back from Alabama. Um, Going to be the first running back off the board, rightfully so, but Pittsburgh. Has not did not have any semblance of a running game last year. Like, this is a team that granted they went down big in uh, the playoff game against Cleveland. Uh, but I'm didn't Big Ben throw like 70 plus times in that playoff game? Like, it was an astronomical number for someone who's Big Ben's age and coming off of Tommy John surgery. Uh so getting Najee Harris and trying to solidify that run game is super important for the Steelers. I like this pick for them. At 25, the Jaguars second pick of the first round, Kadarius Tony wide receiver from Florida, pairing him with Trevor Lawrence, get that young core together nicely. Uh 26th overall, Cleveland Browns, Quitty Pay. Uh, a guy who I said I wouldn't mind the Giants drafting, they have him going down all the way at 26. So the Giants may be reaching if they have uh, if they take pay all the way up there. Uh, they have him going to the Browns, which is insane because the Browns are already so loaded on the defensive line. Uh, 27th, the Baltimore Ravens, Terrace Marshall Jr., wide receiver from LSU. The Ravens need wide receivers. It's not a secret from anyone. Lamar Jackson needs better wide receivers to throw the football to. At 28, the Saints Rashad Bateman, wide receiver from Minnesota. You could see, like I said, we're on, we're only have a couple picks left in the first round, and there were already like five or six wide receivers taken. So this draft for wide receivers runs deep in terms of just sheer first round talent. There's a lot of wide receivers to pick from. Uh, 29th, the Packers taking Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle, from Oklahoma State. 30th, the Bills are taking Zavin Collins, linebacker from Tulsa. At 31, we know that this pick is now going to the Ravens, so remains to be seen. And the last pick in the first round, the Bucks projected to take Jalen Mayfield, an offensive tackle from Michigan. So that's a pretty decent in-depth mock draft uh, from Kuyper and McShay. Not terrible, you know. Um, It is going to be hectic. I have a feeling there's going to be quite a few trades in the first round this year. I don't know why I get that feeling. I just do. Um, I literally have nothing to base it off of other than just like a gut feeling. That there's going to be probably multiple draft night trades. This year, uh, as for the Giants, obviously that's my team. I don't know. I don't know who they pick. Um, the rumors have ramped up over the past couple weeks that they're taking Devontae Smith, but I would like to see someone on defense. Like Micah Parsons would be someone that would really I would really enjoy having on the Giants. Like their linebacking core isn't. The strongest. It's certainly improved, and their defense, just in general, was really good last year and made great strides from, you know, week one to week 16 and, uh, or week 17. And having someone like Micah Parsons lined up, uh, next to like Blake Martinez, that's a great linebacker to learn how to play in the NFL from. So, just in general, I think that scenario would really work out well for both sides. Not only is Parsons incredibly talented, but he would be in a great environment to not only compete and win, but also a well-respected franchise with, with a solid roster and then Blake Martinez, a guy who can like, kind of show him how to really excel in the NFL and how to be like an exceptional middle linebacker or just a linebacker in general. So I, I would love to have Micah Parsons. He's probably my number one choice. If they take Devontae Smith, they take Devontae Smith. I'm not going to complain. Like I said, he's immensely talented in the wide wide receiver position, and you can never have too many weapons for Daniel Jones to throw the ball to. If you got four, if you got two really good wide receivers with Galladay, and I'm assuming now Smith, and then your like third and fourth option are Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard. Like that's not. <laughs> you can't really complain about that. You know there are worse things to happen. You can never have too many weapons, especially for a guy like Daniel Jones. You know, the more weapons, the better. Uh, the quicker these receivers get open, the better. All right, but now we got the NFL mock draft. A little wrap up there. Um, super excited for the draft, but the state of baseball makes me a little bit more excited. It's been electric. The first month of the season has been insane. Um, And it, it was really capped off this past weekend with uh, a series between the Dodgers and the Padres, NL West rivals, two teams who need to play in the NLCS. I will refuse any other matchup other than the Dodgers and Padres in the NLCS. Um, Actually, I wouldn't mind the Mets being in the NLCS, so... You know, we'll will the playoffs. We'll we'll call it the playoffs. Let's let's set the bar a little bit low. The Dodgers and Padres need to play in the playoffs. I don't care what round it is. I don't care. Uh, please don't be the wild card game. A one game playoff between those guys would suck. Please. Actually, do they have? I don't know if they're doing like the the best of three wild card matchup. Um. I I really liked that. I liked the best of three wild card round last year. Uh anyway, Dodgers and Padres, like these are mi- uh late April baseball games that felt like playoff games. Fernando Tatís hit two home runs in back-to-back games. So four home runs in 2 days and there was a huge controversy like if he looked back to see what the signs were because then he it looked like he did, like he gave a little glance down at the catcher and then immediately it was like a, I think it was a slider just off the plate and he reached out and launched it to left center field and everyone was like how did he hit that first of all and second of all like how did it go that far and it looks like he took a bit of a peek of what, The catcher was signaling um, and that was off Trevor Bauer. So this video comes out on Twitter and Bauer being the social media kind of guy that he is, says, if you need to know what pitch is coming, just let daddy know. And Tatis responds with a picture of him and I think is his son, maybe. I don't know. It's a child with a picture of. Bauer's face photoshopped onto the kid and it's his he said tranquilo hijo which is uh relaxed son or something like that. Um so he they were going back and forth on Twitter super funny, very uh entertaining on and off the field. But Bauer was also asked because after Tatis homer twice off of him, he did uh his little strut that he does. Bauer does this stupid little strut that he does on the off the mound, walking off the mound. And Tatis did it after he crossed home plate. And then he also did the Bauer in spring training would hold like uh close one eye and then pitch because he was just playing games and he's kind of a jerk off like that. Tatis would cover one of his eyes up as he crossed home plate. So he he mocked Bauer twice with his own celebrations. And someone asked Bauer, Oh, is it, you know, does that piss you off? Does that bother you? And he says, no, he, he said, no. And he was like, you know, I celebrate all the time. And if you're a pitcher and you get pissed off because uh, a batter is, is celebrating because they got to hit a home run off of you, you're soft. And I love that. Like, please, for the love of God, Get rid of this, like, act like you've been here before bullshit That is has been instilled in baseball forever. Like, let the kids play. Let these guys show some emotion. Let them get amped up rounding the bases. Let them cross home plate and do all these celebrations. Who cares? If you have a problem with it, okay, that's, that's, that's fine. Like, you know, sometimes it might be a little excessive. But at the same time... If you don't want a guy celebrating as he's crossing home plate, don't give him a meatball and let him hit it over the wall. You know? Like, throw a better pitch. What, what, what are you going to say to that? You know? He, he's he got to act professional because you couldn't throw a good pitch, so he launched it over the fence? It's not his fault. It's your fault. Throw a better pitch if you don't want people celebrating in your face. So, I, I, I respect Bauer in that aspect. Um, he does kind of piss me off a little bit, but... In, in that regard, in furthering baseball and making it fun and making it, you know, more watchable to a younger audience, I'm I'm fully on board with what he's been trying to do, for sure. So, uh, in general, the Dodgers and Padres, they were on ESPN as well. They had a crazy back and forth extra innings game where the the Padres came down. They were down six. They came back to tie it and went into extra innings, and then they ended up winning the game. These are super intense divisional games in April. So, like, that is really something to get excited about, that these games pack as much punch as they do this early in the season because when they play late in the season, it's going to be ramped up by 100 it's going to be so intense they're going to be at each other's throats they'll probably be at least one benches clearing incident during the course of this season i would be shocked if there wasn't um but this is like this is good for the game having this rivalry is good for the game and like i said having it happen this early in the season is even better because a lot of people are like oh it's early april you know who cares and then you get into the lull of summer and it's like, baseball oh, baseball's the only thing on, blah, blah, blah. Like people get bored about something. Like the average fan might get bored of that kind of stuff. So having it be like, yeah, these games obviously matter. Like they want to, you know, the, the Padres are like, we want to beat these guys and the Dodgers, you know, we want to beat these guys. That's awesome. I'm all for this. All for it. I think it's a great thing for baseball. As for the Mets and Yankees, the Mets, Jacob DeGrom, hands down, bar none, best pitcher in baseball. I don't think anyone is close. I don't. I really don't. Burns, that guy. I think his name's first name's Corbin, right? Corbin Burns in Milwaukee, having an incredible start to the season. I think he has like he's like a .01 less ERA or more ERA than Jacob DeGrom. DeGrom has got like a 0.38 ERA and he has a 0.39 or some shit like that. He's had an incredible start to the season, taking nothing away from him. But DeGrom is like head head and shoulders better than everyone else, man. He he's incredible. Incredible. 3 starts in a row. 14 strikeouts, tied a career high. 14 strikeouts, tied a career high. 15 strikeouts, set a career high. That was his last start against the Nationals. 15 strikeouts, 2-hit, complete game shutout for Jacob deGrom. Oh, by the way, he also had 2 singles and an RBI. So the guy just does it all. Like, he really does it all. He's He can swing the stick. I think he's hitting... He's hitting like 700 and has like four RBIs on the season. It's insane. Uh, and on top of that, obviously, you can't touch him when he's on the mound. He decides to come in this year, 32 years old, whatever it is, 33 years old, th- pumping 101 miles an hour. Never done that before in a season. Decides to come into this one, early 30s, pumping 101. He's just Every pitch for him is just, like, unbelievable. It always feels like—it never feels like any pitch gets away from him. Like, when you see him throw the baseball, it always ends—it always feels like it ends up exactly where he wanted it to be. He is unbelievable to watch. He pitches, uh, actually—when this comes out, he'll be pitching tonight. So Wednesday night, DeGrom's pitching. Turn him on. He's much-watched TV at this point. Um, and he's been this way for a couple years now, but for some reason, like, even though he's won two Cy Young Awards, I feel like now people are like, under, like, the general public is understanding what is, you know, what is happening with Jacob deGrom. He, he is an all-time great pitcher. And by the way, his complete game shutout last start with 15 strikeouts Made him the all-time Mets leading ERA pitcher in in history. I think Doc Doc Gooden held that title for lowest ERA in Mets history. Jacob deGrom now holds that record. So, it, I mean, yes, obviously that could change, right? Um, I don't think it will, but he's you know got several more years in the league left and. You know who who knows what his ERA is going to end up with this year, but I think his lowest ERA he's finished the season with was like uh, what the last Cy Young he wore uh, award he won he had like a one seven five ERA or some shit like that. Like he could easily finish this year with uh you know a one four a one three ERA, easily, easily. Like the guy is unbelievable. Also, I mentioned Corbin Burns. I got to shout him out again real quick. I think he has like 50-plus strikeouts. Hasn't walked a single batter this year. So not to, you know, undermine what he's been doing this year, but Jacob deGrom is unbelievable. It, it's, a, it's a shock to me how anyone gets a hit off this dude. So I'll be watching him tomorrow night as well as my Yankees, who for some reason, you know, they took three of, they won three of their last four. They won two of three against the Indians. And first game, playing Baltimore, Matt Harvey, who's got like a four plus ERA, the Dark Knight. I'm a huge Matt Harvey guy too. I wish him nothing but the best. But this is a game that the Yankees have to come in and win. They have to come in and win this game. Now they sit at nine and twelve. They're four and a half games back behind the Red Sox of first place. The Red Sox started off like zero and three, zero and four, and then they rattled off, you know, a bunch of wins in a row. So now I think they're uh, whatever it is, fourteen and nine. I think they've played a couple more games than the Yankees. Um, so the Yank the Yanks are four and a half games back of Boston. For first place, so obviously nothing too crazy or too serious. Um, I don't believe the Red Sox keep that like keep up that pace to be able to main first maintain first place in the East. I just don't think they have the the capabilities of doing that. Um, could be wrong, but you know I just don't think they do. The Rays. I, the, the the Tampa Bay Rays, I mean, they own the Yankees. That's been a huge problem. And then we've just been wildly inconsistent against the Blue Jays as well. The Yankees have been wildly inconsistent against everybody. You know? Uh they actually traded Mike Talkman today to the Giants for uh a left handed reliever, Wandy Peralta. Not sure how good he is, but boosts the bullpen because we've been using the bullpen a lot. So honestly, not a terrible trade. I wish Talkman Nothing but the best. He was an electric guy to come off the bench, and I'm kind of hoping he gets some more serious playing time in San Francisco because he deserves it. He's a talented guy. Um, so good luck, good luck, Mike Talkman. I hardly knew ye. Uh, and as we're as I'm recording this right now, the Yankees are winning three nothing against Baltimore. So a good sign, to say the least. Kluber is on the mound tonight. So. He's been iffy. Not sure what'll happen there. But they're up 3-0 right now. So I'm going to go watch that game. Uh, That'll wrap up this episode. Thank you all for listening. As always, I appreciate you. And I will talk to you all next Wednesday. Unfortunately, Marvel Mondays are done. But we'll be back with those in June. Just another reminder. Uh, But enjoy your weekend. Officially May in a couple days. So that warm weather is... Almost here to stay. Still gets a bit chilly at times, but it's almost here to stay. So thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next Wednesday. And you know I'm popping stills. I don't wanna drink the sprite unless it's dirty. Now you know how I feel, girl. I got what you need when you're feeling lonely. I got what you need when you're feeling.